I was gonna say bring us back in, Abby, but you're uh you're, you're sampling sorry. that chocolate some more. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have like half a bar sitting here. I had to take a bite. It's dark chocolate, it's healthy. Yeah, I agree. I do not disagree with you whatsoever. (laughs) If I had chocolate right beside me, I'd be doing the same. (laughs) Hey guys, here's what's coming up. Next week on August 30th, we will be talking about our favorite fictional men. Then on September 6th, we will be discussing our thoughts on Anxious People by Frederick Bachman, which we did as a buddy read for August. Thank you to our buddies for reading with us. Have you checked out our Patreon yet? You should! We have all sorts of fun perks, including books from upcoming episodes, a miniseries, and much more. We hope you'll consider supporting us if you can, and we're incredibly grateful to all of you for listening in every week. Thank you. Speaking of thank yous, we want to send a huge shout out and thank you to our patrons, Ronnie and the Pirate Queen. May the seas be fair for you this week. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Book Live Podcast with your host, myself, Mo, and my best friend, Abby. Tonight, we are so excited to have a special guest with us, Anne Elizabeth Fryer, author of Needles and Haystacks. Our format tonight will be a little bit different with a small Q&A in our first half before we jump into our normal spoiler second half. Just a non-spoiler alert, Abby and I love this book. I think I told both of you guys, at least in uh, my review, that I got like halfway through and then I just couldn't put it down. And I'm like, "Mm, it's 10 o'clock at night. I should be able to finish by midnight, right? It was like 1.30 and I was like, I just couldn't stop reading by that point. And I was like, this is so good. And I was just laying there in bed going, yes. Like, so, you know, that good book high that you get after you read something so good and you're like, Mm-hmm. It was so I finished. Good. See, I finished. I started this book before Mo, and so I finished it before her. And I was sitting there, like I kept texting her, going, "Like, have you started it yet? Have you started it yet? You need to start this." <laughs> but you read like, it so fast. Like I thought, like I'm like, oh, I got time. And then they're like, a day later, like I'm done. I'm like, what? what? It was so good, though. Like mm-hmm. I got done with it, and I was just sitting there going, "I'm happy." Like I had the warm fuzzies. Like I was just like. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is a good book. Yes. <laughs> I know the end was perfect. I was so happy with the end. Mm-hmm. Gosh, you guys <laughs> know how to make an author feel amazing. Oh my. If only I could have written the book that quickly. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know, like you spend months or years writing a book and then you give it to a reader and they're like two days later, okay, so I'm done. What's next? <laughs> and <Right>. you're like, <laughs> well, good question. This was my life's work. And you read it in two days. No, actually that, that is a huge compliment when someone reads it and can't put it down. That's really cool. Very fun. Well, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are so glad you're here. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and a little bit more about your inspiration and everything? Well, thank you so much for having me on. I grew up in Kentucky in a very historic area. So my whole life, my parents are both artisans in the historic field as well. So I was just always surrounded by history. And my mother read aloud to me all through growing up, even through my teen years. So I love stories. So growing up in Kentucky surrounded by history and story. I think I was just doomed to be a writer. Now we live in Illinois 
And I just, I can't get away from home. So I love to write about Kentucky. I've been writing for about 17 years now. And If Needles and Haystacks is my very first publication. Um, takes a long time through training and studying and learning. And I had planned going through the traditional publishing route and ended up giving myself the open-ended publishing contract. So it's pretty fun these days. We can do that. So um, yeah, that's it. Oh, that is awesome. Um, One thing, listeners, Anne also partakes in what I call well, what she calls backyard archaeology and is one of my favorite things where she'll post on her Facebook and she's like, look what I dug up in my yard. And I'm like, (laughs) what are people burying in her yard? Like, oh, the bracelet, the silver, um, silver spoons, a thimble, the glass, the porcelain. I'm just like, this is the best. I always love seeing the treasures you pull up. Like a pirate must have lived here. I don't know. My house was built around 1880, and uh, we just started finding things were just washing up in our backyard. I think first we found um, an original brick sidewalk coming from the back of our house that was all under dirt and grass and everything, and then just stuff kept washing up, and then we would dig up things. Um, One of the coolest finds was an inkwell that still had ink in it. Wow. So crazy. I know what is this stuff doing in my backyard? The silver bracelet, the silver spoon, um, lots of China pieces from that era, from around 1880 on, from 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I Yeah, lots. I, I guess you could say we live on a junk heap. I'm not really sure, but it's all back there. Last week, I found a peanut, so that's not exciting. <laughs> What's a peanut being buried in my backyard? That's not old, not too fun, but we just found some stuff the other day. I can't wait to post. Oh, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> Abby, can you jump into the summary of this awesome book? Gladly. A young woman inherits a farm she isn't meant to have and uncovers a secret her neighbor planned to keep forever. After her parents' untimely deaths, Dorothy Trafton has nowhere to go but her uncle's Kentucky farm, a place she's never visited. Uncertain of her surroundings, grief festers. It doesn't help that war-scarred neighbor James Blue knows more about her mother's secret life and family than she does. And why does he lie about his involvement with her father? When news of her inheritance and the contents of an old trunk and a disaster up in her life, Dorothy must forge ahead by making a home for herself in a dilapidated cottage, alone. Yet she can't ignore Mr. Blue's change of ways. His kindness runs deeper than she ever imagined. Man, I'm not sure if I actually read like the summary. I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, this gives me chills thinking back to the book. It's I 100% crazy. not read the summary. Right? <laughs> I pretty much just bought the book and said, Abby, you're going to read this with me. Okay? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Well, it's kind of crazy to hear someone else read the summary. That's, (laughs) (laughs) and that people are reading this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like truly a romance, but this is the perfect kind of romance book for me because it was the sweet, tender, like 
not Abby's enemies to friends trope that she loves, but more, <laughs> I mean, a little, bit, a little bit, but not as much, but more like just the slow burn slowly becoming, you know, together. And I was just like, oh, this is perfect. I loved it. Let's talk about characters. Abby, can you start us off? Sure thing. First, we have James David Blue. He is the Hammond's neighbor who is in a joint horse breeding venture with them and also fought in the Civil War with Hammond, who is Dorothy's uncle. Then we have Dorothy Trafton. She is 19 going on 20, and she recently lost her mother and father to a deadly illness. And she moves into her mother's brother's farm in Kentucky, and that would be her uncle. And then we have Ruth, who is James's faithful cook, and she makes the best pies. That's what I remember the most about her. I'm like, she makes pies. Dude. <laughs> and then we have the entire Hammond clan. And I apologize, Anne. I can't remember their names because the way that Dorothy refers to them is as uncle and as aunt. And that's just what stuck. We have uncle, who is the brother to Dorothy's mom, who is also James's more compatriot. We have his wife, aunt. We have Ernest, the oldest of the Hammond children. Tom, one of the brothers, and Henry, another brother. We have Helen, the oldest sister, who is in close age with Dorothy. We have Kirsten, who is the second oldest. We have Ruby, and we have Oliver, um, the Hammond's adopted son. Was that all the siblings? Did I get everybody? I think maybe you did. There was a lot. I had to come through the book because, like, I'm like, ooh, wait, wait. I yeah, like, they had oh. a bunch. They, they did. Have- they just kept having kids. <laughs> Oh, man. Yep. The time they lived in, most people had several children. So I had to make it real, make it a real thing. So well, especially when you lived on a farm like that, you had to have the farm hands. You, you had did. to. Like, and those are your kids. <laughs> You're like, let's go work, guys. Yep. Yep. And uh, birth is a natural occurring then, especially back then. So <laughs> wasn't much to stop that. So um, I wanted to make her surrounding in 1880 as specific as possible not what would be now but what was what actually did happen so gosh and I cannot imagine so Dorothy um, listeners is an only child and suddenly she's thrust into a family with like seven other kids and she's just like that like not only she getting a culture (laughs) shot going from the city to the country suddenly she's going from I'm an only child to, oh my goodness, there's so many more people here than just my mom and dad. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and let's jump into our questions and answers. Abby and I were curious, what was the inspiration behind the story? Oh gosh. So it's not all that great. Um, I wish it were, but I had surgery (laughs) 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 and I was stuck in bed for weeks So I binge watched Wartime Farm and Edwardian Farm with Ruth Goodman and Alex Langland's Peter Ginn. Have you seen those? Mm -hmm. Oh, they're so good. I think they were only on YouTube at the time. They're on Amazon Prime now. But um, real archaeologists and historians put themselves in actual time and absolutely lived it and they loved it. So I was just laid out in bed, I couldn't move, and just 
I just was inspired. I remember as a kid moving from the city to in the middle of 300 acre farm in Kentucky. Wow. So I, I experienced that as a child, Jacksonville, Florida, all the way to Kentucky in the middle of 300 acres. And so I just, while I was laying there, I guess stories are always, the possibility of unique stories are always kind of floating through our brains. And so I thought, well, what if, what if, what if? Every story starts with a what if. So my inspiration was partly my own experience. And both of my parents come from large families. There were only my brother and I growing up, but my mom came from a sibling group of seven and my dad nine. So not, not only did I move from a huge city to middle of nowhere farm, I was suddenly in the company of my parents' large families all the time. So I just thought, what if I brought this character in? She, instead of being seven years old, she's 19 going on 20 and go from there. I love that. So you said you started writing about 17 years ago. I know that you have three children. Is that in correlation with your oldest that you started writing? It kind of is. I remember at the time, it's like a month before Kate was born, we adopted our children and we were running an historic farm and bed and breakfast in Kentucky. The house we lived in was built in 1815. No, 1795. The cabin was built in 1850. So I was surrounded by that history too. And there was original graves out there, all this um, awesome stuff and working the bed and breakfast in the farm. And I remember thinking, gosh, I need to have a plan in place. What if I don't get to bring my baby home? Because that was a real possibility. I need to, I just made a list. I just said, well, I'm going to write a book. I've always wanted to be an author. If I don't, I'm going to have time. I'm going to write a book. So I brought the baby home and I went, I'm still going to write that book. (laughs) I love that. I couldn't have been busier It was such a crazy time, but I thought, I'm just going to use this empty journal I have and grab an ink pen and my, the end of the long day, my feet would throb and I'd be propped up in bed and I would just write as much as I could by hand, throw it beside my bed, fall asleep, start another round of cooking breakfast, greeting guests, cleaning rooms, feeding sheep, (laughs) all that fun, but um. I remember filling up that journal and thinking, "Ah, I've got a book. What do I do now? And like any first time author, especially back then, there wasn't as much information out there as there is now. So I remember looking up publishers and going, oh, no, they won't take my journal. I just wrote, what do I do? So I found some writing training. It took four years to get through. Um, That gave me everything I needed to get going. So that was probably the long story. That's okay. That's I'm like, I love it because it's like, you know, to me, it's like always inspired to be a writer, would love to be a writer. But right now, like trying to handle these twins, like my, all of my creativity is sucked and in, into work, which is fine because I love my job. I love what I do, 
But at the end of the day, it's like, I just got to read a book. Like, I'm like, I have nothing to pull out. Just shove it all into my head, please. Thank you. I'll come back Mm -hmm. to writing later. Yep. I totally get that. I had three little ones at once and I was going through this four-year writing training that was like writing boot camp, honestly. I'd put them down for a three-hour nap. I'd get all my work done. (laughs) But those three-hour naps went away. Um, And then it was full-time kid. So like, when do I write? So you just carve it out little by little. I was just talking to a friend just before we got on here, another author friend who's struggling because she has little ones too. And this is how Needles and Haystacks was written. I wrote it about eight years ago, a good portion of it, at a time when my kids were still very young and very busy, and it was all I could do to keep up. So I thought, now I just had that surgery. I thought, well, what if I just wrote a short journal entry every day and see, just see what happens, just a journal entry, kind of take the pressure off. I can't get an 80, 100K book done quickly. It's going to take years. Okay, we'll just, just do one journal entry at a time. I love that. So listeners, if you don't know, when you read this book, it is basically written as a journal. I love that because though I, it flowed so well, like, Oh, good. (laughs) I was like, this is so good. I just kept going through my, this is so good. I can't stop reading this. I love that. So what's your next planned book and what can you tell us about it? Cause I know sometimes authors do a little bit at a time because they don't want to make too big a reveal but we did see your announcement that you have announced the cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of Horse and Rider. Yes. It will come out in October. I think October 28th. I hope that's the right date. It'll be a Thursday. I know most authors do launches on Tuesday, but I'm going to be weird and be Thursday. It is about a young woman who loses her sight, freedom, and fiance after a horse riding accident. And a minister runs from scandal only to be led by a blind girl into the most important mission of his life. So that is a horse and rider. And I know that is part of Hearts Unlocked. So is it going to be tied in at all with Of Needles and Haystack? Or is it kind of another a standalone? These is, will be a standalone. It's within a Hearts Unlocked theme. Mm-hmm. So that theme will run through each standalone book. Awesome. Okay. So there's not going to be like a follow-up book to this one, correct? Not right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. You don't have plans at the moment for one. Not at the moment. Okay. Um, yeah, I did have, I did have a story going for another couple out of needles and haystacks, but I just couldn't get it off its feet. So mm-hmm. I slid it aside and just worked on other projects. So, oh yeah. Well, I'm like, I'm ready for the next one. I'm like, if it's anything like this one, <laughs> I'll get halfway <laughs> through and then just stay up all night and be like, well, I'll be fine in the morning. It's fine. Extra coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all live on coffee in this house. Like coffee, tea, water, something, something to get us going. All the caffeinated things. Yes. All the caffeinated things. You got that right. <laughs> I go from iced tea to coffee. Should I have coffee or iced tea right now? Or is it a hot tea or Darjeeling or chai? I don't know. What do I? <laughs> I you know, I start the mornings with hot coffee. And by the time I get back to my coffee, it's iced coffee. <laughs> right. right. 
because you are not a mother of toddlers, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Anne, have you, you said you moved to Kentucky. So have you actually been to Paris, Kentucky? Is that a real? I have. Place? I actually um, grew up visiting Kentucky, uh, Paris, Kentucky. My parents loved to go antiquing. So every other weekend we'd visit a small town across Kentucky, Seward, antique, all kinds of fun. Loved it. Paris is very unique. Lots of farmland. So around here, it seems like towns are just right next to each other and on top of each other. In Kentucky, they're much more spread apart. Lots of farmland in between each town. Um, Some areas like the Lexington area is being built up a lot more. So you can see it merging into Nicholasville and into Winchester where I grew up. Um, But for the most part, it's much more spread out. I've been to, I'm going to probably say it wrong. Sorry, listeners from Kentucky, but Louisville, Lexington and Paducah. I'm trying to see where else I've been to on the map. Uh, Kentucky is just beautiful. Like I, when I went there the first time and I was like, Wow. Like what a hidden gem in the middle of the country because it it's not depending on what part of Illinois you're in, we are in the beautiful flat portion of Illinois. But like as you travel further south, you get into the, the rolling hills, into the Shawnee National Forest. And then Kentucky is just it is just a different kind of farmland than it is in beautiful, gorgeous Definitely. Illinois. A lot more hills, a lot of steep hills and as a kid, I'd go sledding down those things. They were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> One of my friends had her wedding in Tennessee, so we had to go through Kentucky. Yeah. And it's just gorgeous country out there. It really is. Well, everyone, that is the first half of our episode. When we come back, we are going to do our normal spoiler half where we talk about the characters, our favorite scenes, and then give a wrap up. We'll see you guys in a minute. Talk to you in a minute, guys. Bye. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Barbara. And I'm Lauren. We are the hosts of Badass Literature Society, a book review podcast where we take book recommendations from listeners like you, read them, and then discuss them on our show. Join us once a month as we dive into the books you picked and talk about them. And don't miss our bonus episodes covering all sorts of random bookish topics that come out in between reviews. Don't worry, if you want to read one of the books, the first part of each episode is designated spoiler-free, so you can listen and see if you'd like to read it, and then come back and listen to the rest later. You can find Badass Literature Society on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else you like to listen. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, guys. And remember, this half is spoilers. So if you have not read Of Needles and Haystacks, please pause right here, go read the book, and then come back and talk to us. All right. Let's start out with favorite characters. And since you wrote the book, who were your favorite characters? Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're my favorite characters. I love them all. They're all my little precious darlings. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. They're all like your children. They are. I just, the hard part is, is not investing in all of them. Mm-hmm. You have to pull back and focus on the main story and the main characters. So I do love Dorothy and James so so much but aside from them as a mom I think Tolliver and Ruth mean a lot to me because I have black and biracial children 
I didn't want to leave out part of the Black story. I know that they didn't have a huge part on the stage for the story, but they are there with great purpose. So I just thought, you know, back then there were so many kids in need and in need of homes and he couldn't stay. He had to go. So Tolliver's very significant to me. And Ruth um, also, just because she had that slavery background. But I didn't, I couldn't turn her into a character that was just simply happy to be free. I let her past translate her character on the page. The trauma, I think, um, needed to bleed out. What I think, and that's true of every character, what everyone's been through, everyone has a story that we don't know. So when I think even about aunt and uncle, they each have stories too. So even though I think you can't like how her family, Dorothy's family ended up treating her and behaving, they have a story too. And there's probably more there, probably. Mm -hmm. But to explore it would have been a whole other book. I guess it could be someday. Well, I would be okay if a book came out about Ernest. Not going to lie. <laughs> I, would oh, story. I, I do love Thanks. him too. Yeah. He was definitely my favorite from uh, the Hammond clan. And then, I mean, like you said, like Ruth was such a great character. I just love my favorite part is when she just ups and moves into Dorothy's <laughs> new cottage. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I'm here to be your family. And Dorothy's like, what? <laughs> are you? Why are you here? And then I just love how she spread her love through cooking, especially how she would just take James's extra food and share it among her neighbors. And he was just like, well, okay then. Yeah. Yeah. She would get in trouble before with other families for doing that. And she just, she was a little messed up just from her past and her history, but she saw a need and filled it. So it's just, it's just Ruth. It's just what she did. And I think James saw that. Gosh, it's weird talking about these characters I made up, but it's like they have their own world out there, you know? Oh, I believe Even it. at the book, we know they have their own yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and then I have to say, like, Dorothy is another one of my favorite characters. For everything she went through, she was so strong. And I just appreciated that she was questioning why things happened the way that they did. You know, like, she stayed strong with her faith even though she was questioning she's like why did god take my parents why am i in this situation where you know there's secrets being kept for me and how come i didn't know i had my i owned a farm and it was a lot for a 19 year old eventually she took the high road with her aunt and uncle and she's like you know the right thing for me to do is to forgive you and she gave back the deed to the farm and she was like, I'm just going to take my 10 acres and be over here. And if you need me, great. If not, that's okay too. I think um, a lot of that story of forgiveness and redemption was really good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I just kept trying to think she's 19. How would a 19 year old in that time think they're a little more mature than our 19 year olds are today, just by way of just life and life experience. People were surrounded by a lot of loss. This was a regular thing. So just, just trying to make that a natural part, but at the same time, 
was a lot of grief and a lot of mourning back then. So how can we turn, how could I as a writer turn the story into something that made use of it rather than let it darken her life? How could it bring her to the light? How can it lighten her life and those around her? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. Because she really leaned into her faith and she was like, this is hard. And but she still had a good foundation to lean on. And then like a very minor character. But I liked uh, Mrs. McDonald, who I can't remember what her first name is, but she lived up in the manor. And I love how she reached out this olive branch to Dorothy. She's like, hey, I'm an orphan, too. I know how this is. And she's like, ooh, you would make a really good daughter-in-law. And, you know, she's trying to pick her <laughs> up with her sons. And Dorothy's like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I, I want to be your friend. Let's not, let's not be so hasty on the marriage portion. <laughs> but, I mean, it's to be expected. But <laughs> where she's like, mm, I got two eligible young men. And you are an eligible young woman. And you own land. Let's make some magic. <laughs> I would like you for my daughter-in-law. <laughs> and I just, yeah. she was just quirky. I'm like, oh. You're just it was a little quirky and she was she was a little challenging to write because I wanted to keep her good and honest. But at the same time, I mean, that would have been a temptation for anyone back then. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I tried to write her as honestly loving Dorothy. She really, really did. There's all kinds of mothers out there, I believe, that love to match make their sons. And she's one of them. I feel like that's kind of a natural thing for any mother. Like, I try and avoid it as much as possible. But, like, you see a little boy and a little girl and you're like, oh, they'd be so cute. Like, regardless of what age they are. (laughs) It's just, like, a natural instinct. And I try not to say those things where my kids can hear because it's just like, that's nothing you need to worry about. That's just me being dumb. It's fine. Well, you know, my mother-in-law matched make my husband and I oh really really did she told Mark that she had someone or something to show him at the bookstore yeah I was working at the bookstore and she I walked away and she said that's what I wanted to show you (laughs) oh my gosh we met in a bookstore Uh, I would say it's okay. I keep trying to match make Mara with my friend's son, Miles, because they were both born on the same day and they're both twins. I'm like, perfect. Oh, I'm, <laughs> like, let's just get, something. I'm like, let's just get together right now. They, they would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, push it too hard. It'll be that enemy to love a romance thing. <laughs> Things I don't want to see play out with my children. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Abby, what about for you? Um, I mentioned my favorite characters. Anne has brought some really good commentary about her. So what about for you? So I agree about Ruth. I love characters who do their own thing, march to their own drum, and just, like, make life better for everyone around them. And she's really one of those characters. And so I just... I loved every time she popped up because she was so caring and she was so loving and she just like, she made me smile when she showed up and I liked that. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I also really liked Dorothy. She was a great protagonist. So steadfast and faithful and she didn't lose hope even in the worst points. And honestly, 
the way she handled her family, A plus, because I'm not sure at that age I would have handled that that well. So it's just, it was so nice because loss like she suffered can really either push you away from your faith or push you further into your faith. And it was nice to see her being pushed further into her faith. And that's just, that's a good thing right there. I loved that. And then (laughs) I really loved Ernest, partially because I'm a little biased. One of my grandfathers was named named Ernst. And so that's what I kept connecting him with (laughs) because it felt like it could have been him in this story, if that makes sense. Like, right, right. Well, he was almost an Ernst. So half the manuscript was written that way, and the other <laughs> half I spelled with an E, and I'm like, I gotta pick one. So <laughs> <laughs> see, there you go. He definitely felt like an Ernst to me, but I am fine with Ernest too. It was a good name. <laughs> um, and I just, I loved his character. I loved how he did his best in all these tough situations between his father and his cousin. And I appreciated the tough spot he was put in, but he was still always trying to do the right thing. And even he was acknowledging that the way his father was treating Dorothy wasn't right, but like he still had to side with his family because he was the oldest boy and just like, that's what you did. But so I I appreciated how he handled that tough spot. And I liked him as a character in general because he was a good cousin to Dorothy. So A plus character. (laughs) Yeah, I love that guy too. He reminds me most of my own brother. He's just a sweet peacemaker kind of a person. Yeah. I hadn't thought of giving him a little romance. Wouldn't that be fun? I think so. (laughs) I'd read it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you never know. Well, let's move into our least favorite characters. And I won't let you start this. I won't let you trash talk your characters. I'll let Abby start on (laughs) that she did not feel very connected with. Oh, okay. So the uncle drove me nuts. (laughs) He was a good antagonist. Don't get me wrong. He was a well-written antagonist for this. But he drove me absolutely nuts. I'm a very straightforward, just give me the honest truth kind of person. And so knowing that he wasn't telling Dorothy everything the entire freaking time, I was just like, (gasps) I want to throttle you. Just tell her. Just tell her. (laughs) And so just like that drove me nuts the entire book in a good way. (laughs) Like, oh. I didn't really hate him. I was just so freaking frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. He, he drove me nuts too. (laughs) Come on, man. You gotta do better than that. Oh, they have lives of their own. These people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then the other characters that really frustrated me were the two oldest daughters, especially the drama with the McDonald boys and um, Helen, I believe it was it just like, honey, you gotta rein in those teenage hormones. Like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> again, <laughs> I was just so frustrated because I was like, Helen, you are blowing this out of proportion entirely. Well, and not just that too. I'm like, you need to talk to Dorothy because Dorothy does not want these boys. Dorothy is like, oh, I'm good. Thank you. Please look at my cousins. They are more than ready for you. She's like, here, take one of them. 
And Dorothy tried really hard with Helen. Like, the fact Mm -hmm. that she gave both Helen and Kirsten one of her, like, dresses from the city. Like, you know, some really nice dresses. And she gave Helen so much grace. And I was just like, I I mean, I guess it's it's been a while since I've been a teenager. But I'm like, is is it this hard to get along? Sometimes. There are some teenagers that just refuse to talk. There's some adults that refuse to talk. So, I mean, she felt like a very authentic teenager to me because of all of the refusing to actually talk to Dorothy and the flip-flopping back and forth. And as frustrated as I was, she was a very realistic character. (laughs) So I was just, uh, she's trying to think about for Helen, just putting myself in her shoes too. You've got a cousin you've never met who has had everything you've never had and has taken the gaze of the boy you like the uh, the pair of boys that are the only neighbors close by that she sees all the time. So this is, she's exposed to very little. And I just, just try to think at that age, you'd be really, really tied to your family and your mm-hmm. family drama. So it made her very faulty as a result, which I guess she would have been. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, a very authentically written character like she felt as frustrated as she made me she it felt right that she would have taken those actions because also like because her world was so small everything else gets blown out of proportion like the tiniest dramas get blown out of proportion when your world is that small and that's not her fault it's just the way it is Mm -hmm. so i tried the next book would have been her story so oh. but we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to see. But yeah, I was going to say, I, mean, I agreed with you about um, the uncle. I don't know, like just from the very beginning where it was weird when he wouldn't take Dorothy's money, even though he needed the money and how he basically almost was groveling to her. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, she's, she's sad. She's grieving. So yeah, kind of trying to help her but then he kind of held her at arm's length and the fact that he and i know this is a symptom of the time but he kept mansplaining the farm to her and i'm like buddy like just sit down and talk to her she is a smart person and then him and james are on the sideline trying to figure out what's going on with the farm and they took her father's papers so that james could look through it all and i was like what is this going on (laughs) and like if he had taken the time to teach her about the farm, teach her about what he's trying to do, teach him about the teach her about the past and where he's trying to go, show her the books. Like this, she was an educated woman. Like she could read and write. I'm sure she knew math. It's like she could have like worked with him and like been really good partners. I don't know. At the time she she came from the city, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she just she absolutely knew nothing. And I think when you're on a farm 24-7, you know absolutely everything. So you don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. So there's that side of it, too. And I remember being that ignorant when we moved from big city in the middle of 300 acres. I went to my tiny little country school out in the middle of nowhere and raised my hand and said, hey, teacher, what is that thing in the middle of the field? And all the kids just fell out of their seats. Like, she doesn't know. 
I thought it was hilarious. So every little thing, there is so much to know. I believe it. I had this um, story in my head is that if she had known there's more of his story, she would not have sold those acres before talking to him instead of just being like, I own it all. I need money. I'm going to sell the back 50 acres to the McDonald's so I can fix up my cottage. And it's this whole miscommunication, not trusting. And I felt like all the blame was more on the uncle's side. And she tried to be accommodating. She tried to work with them. And yeah, I know she didn't know much about the farm. I understand that. Where she, <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I, there is, I remember a scene where she asked a question. They all were kind of like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> more times than I can count. Well, and those, those were the characters we did not per se like were there any characters that you wrote i know you said they're like your babies but anyone that you didn't particularly like but you still had to write them out yeah uncle was hard because i wanted him to be great and then as the plot grew i knew he couldn't be so i had to change him and just something something you know, I guess you pull from real life, something I'd seen in other people in my past and just behaviors that were selfish and self-centered and just making him, making him be the antagonist. Yeah. So he was hard to write. I loved writing chess, but he also drove me nuts. He's kind of a hot, cold kind of figure. So... I guess those two would have been, are the ones that I find, yeah, more irritating. <laughs> My babies are irritating. <laughs> well, they're grown babies, so it's okay. You know? <laughs> mm, let's move into one of my favorite parts of this. Favorite scenes. Abby, you want to start us off about some of your favorite scenes? Sure. I loved the cottage. <laughs> she finally got some peace and quiet. <laughs> It was just really nice seeing her fix it up and have a space that was her own again, because she went from being an only child with just her parents who had this nice quiet life to being on a farm with all these other people. And she just got to go back to being on her own, I guess, like as herself without everybody around her constantly making her think about what they're upset about or whatever. So I just, I liked that it felt so peaceful. I enjoyed seeing her show grace to her family, even though they had hurt her. I enjoyed that she didn't try to get revenge. And I just, I liked the path she took. I liked that she kept giving them chances because it showed what a strong character she was. And I liked that in the end, she was just like, okay, you're going to hate me. God bless. Bye. And like, peace out. And and just, it's it's fine. Uh, I'm done now. So I just, I enjoyed watching all that unfold. I loved watching James and Dorothy finally fall in love because you knew it was going to happen. And for like so much of the book, I was going, how is this going to happen? I don't know yet. (laughs) And when it finally started rolling, I was like, oh, Yes. Yes. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> it was a good slow burn. Like, yes, I love romance. I love it so much. And theirs especially. 
I like so many different romance tropes. Like, I'm not super picky. I have ones like enemies to lovers that I just absolutely adore. But slow burns when they're done well. Oh, oh, I will take that slow burn where it's like you're halfway through the book and all of a sudden their hands brush and you're just like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is 1880s slow burn. (laughs) It's even more slow burn than modern slow burn. (laughs) So yes, I I love a good slow burn too. So mm, yes, the romance did it for me. That was great. I I like to think less is more. I Mm -hmm. wanted to frame each sweet scene as something significant for the relationship. So I love romance. I'll never get away from it. (laughs) (laughs) So I also really enjoyed watching Dorothy start to get to know the cousins on the other side of her family. I was kind of hoping that if there was a sequel, I'd get to see more of them because I was really interested in their family and like the dynamics between them and how they all felt about Dorothy individually. And that was just, that was really interesting to me. And so I enjoyed watching her get to know a couple of her other cousins and actually have them be like, Hey, we don't hate you. Right. (laughs) That was kind of refreshing after her mother's family. So yeah. So that's what I enjoyed. What about you, Mo? Well, I too enjoy Dorothy renovating the cottage. I I think the fact that what I enjoyed is that she was like, I can't deal with this anymore. I have some module of control. I'm going to take hold of it. So, you know, you know how I feel about strong women. And she was like, this is it. I made a decision. It is what we're doing. And she did it. And the fact that she went to a Miss uh, McDonald and... And I was like, well, if you won't marry one of my boys here, come rummage in my attic, take whatever you want out of my attic. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's a nice lady. She's like, you need some chairs. I'll give you some chairs. You want a sofa? Godmother. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, the fairy godmother. Truly was. And one of my favorite descriptions in the book was the oven. The fact that she picked (laughs) the biggest oven possible. Her tiny one room cottage and absolutely that was my pick. My my dream oven is in her cottage. <laughs> I loved that you threw in such a new homeowner mistake. <laughs> like because even James like thinks to himself about it, like, why the hell does she need an oven this big? It's one room. <laughs> and I'm just like. It, it felt so realistic for a first-time homeowner because you go into something that big and you don't know anything about it. And you're just like, I'm going to do this. This sounds good. Yeah, let's do it that way. And then, you know, a couple months down the road, you're going, why did I do this? That was so dumb. I love when Dorothy moves in and Dorothy's like, uh, open the windows and the door because it's going to get hot. <laughs> He's like, what is this? <laughs> but I'm right. sure that Ruth was also thinking, oh, the things I can cook on this oven. Yeah. So writing, writing that scene, when we lived at the bed and breakfast, the original part of the 1795 house was a brick house that simply had living room, kitchen with an upstairs, small barn-shaped rooms. That's the original part. The other sections were built on later. So I kept thinking, that's her house right there. What would it be like to shove this big Mercedes-Benz oven right in the middle of it? Because it's my dream. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love that description of Mercedes Benz oven. <laughs> uh, for the night, 1880s. Tiny. Yeah. Oh man. All the, all the latest gadgets on it. I mean, she's spoiling herself. It's shop therapy at this point. Yeah. And then I loved where she's in the midst, like Ruth is in the midst of her depression. She is just, you know, you know, when you get in those moves, you couldn't get up, get out of bed. In comes, actually it was Dorothy. I got the names wrong. Dorothy was in this big depression thing going on. She couldn't get out of bed. In sweeps Ruth. And Ruth is like, mm, girl, let's get you cleaned up because this is not going to work. <laughs> and she is just putting Dorothy to work, like time to clean. Here's a rag. Let's get going. And she's like, Let's start cooking right now and just bossing her around. And, you know, Dorothy's thinking, who is this woman in my household? It's like, I know her from James. What is she, but what is she doing? And then, like, that night when Ruth makes herself at home and crawls in the bed and Dorothy's like, what? Oh, okay. What? <laughs> how it's going? <laughs> I, I guess I have a roommate. <laughs> I have this like, roommate I, I, that just moved in and made me clean everything. No. <laughs> um, I love that. And then I really loved when that tornado came through, the community coming together to rebuild the Hammonds farmhouse. Like that sense of community was just wonderful. And how much time and effort, gosh, like James put into rebuilding their house, um, the McDonald's boys coming over, just everyone just like, hey, you know what? This sucks. We're here for you. Let's get this done. I think they had to sell all the horses that were supposed to be their like, you know, joint venture they're trying to get into. And James is like, hey, I understand. We'll just, you know, of course, by that point, Hammond's and um, James' relationship kind of broke. So I guess it's good they weren't going into business together. But I don't know. I just that that community was just beautiful. And I loved that entire whole thing. It's cool to see communities do that, and I'd love to see it more. Me too. And I'll say, Abby, you you just hit, like, right on the nail, right on the head of the nail when you're talking about James and Dorothy's um, romance. It was just so sweet. Like, I just, I mean, like you said, you're in the beginning, we're like, we know you're supposed to like each other, but y'all aren't liking each other a lot. And then, like, that first scene where she sees his scarred face and her whole monologue about that, and I'm like, okay yeah i can understand a shock factor and then she feels horrible about feeling that way that she did and of course he had her he had seen the entry and read it and you're just like uh, they're <laughs> never gonna get together <laughs> and then just eventually when she especially when she gets into the cottage and you know he's visiting taking care of her horse that she got because she doesn't know how to take care of her horse but she has a horse now <laughs> he knows nothing <laughs> and he's like well i guess i'll build her a barn for her horse and just doing all these things Loved it. The, the romance was perfect. Thank you. I love that pair. I think about them all the time, wondering how they're doing, how many kids they have. Uh, us too. <laughs> we, were, we were quite curious. So were there any scenes that you loved writing more than others? Definitely. I think one of my very, very favorite scenes was when... James is the one to tell her the whole truth. And she goes through her mother's trunk from her past. So I loved writing that. And I loved that he slipped her a gift under her door. I think it was a pocket knife. Mm -hmm. 
on it that had belonged to his sister. So just little little scenes like that, I just absolutely loved doing. As as a writer writing something like a trunk, as we're writing, we don't actually know what's inside until something just flies out of our fingers. And then I think that's when I discovered that um, Dorothy's mother had a whole other life before she existed was when that trunk came onto the scene. So anyway, I loved writing. That was one of the best twists in the story too, where suddenly you find out that, you know, her mom had other siblings or her mom had had other children in another life and a husband and the tragedy around that. You're just like, kind of just like tug at your heart because she also Dorothy had lost her little older little brother older brother older older brother brother. yeah and so it's just like she's literally the last one from her mom Mm -hmm. yeah I and back to the characters one of my favorite unseen characters was Mr. Birch her mother's first husband just thinking about him have a whole write-up about who he was and what his history is. So trying to weave that in a little bit more and how that affected Dorothy too, even though they were absolutely not related in the least, but that even his life impacted hers. Excellent. I smell a story in the future that would be a tragic romance to read. (laughs) (laughs) All about Dorothy. Oh my God. Literally a train wreck. It's like, learn the love story behind Dorothy's mom and her first husband that led her to no, the city. Oh, my write, God. I can't write. I can't write it. <laughs> All right. We're getting towards the end into our least favorite scenes. Um, I'm going to have you start again. Ruth died and I cried. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let me. I don't cry very often in books anymore. I don't. I mean, just not a lot of things make me cry like that. It had to be as toward closer towards the end. So it had to be like around 1230 at night. I got my little light on and I'm going, <laughs> and I'm like, I think it's too late to be crying. I have to finish this book tonight. Yeah. I had to set the book down for a few minutes. I think the last book that made me cry was a man called Uwe and like, oh, oh my gosh, are you kidding? I'm not a big crier either over books. And that one was Ruth died. I was like, but no, she just, <laughs> they're roommates. That she just, she can't. <sighs> yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I drowned the keyboard on that one. Yeah. I don't think either of us was prepared for that. Oh, I, yeah. it was. I like, wasn't I'm... either. <laughs> Me either. And then she died and I went, I have to leave it. It's too good. It was. It was. So I mean, I can't say it's like my favorite scene, but it was one of the most definitely well-written scenes of the book. And I was like, the the emotion tugging at your heartstrings. And I was just like, I'm like, I gotta finish. <laughs> gotta finish right now and see what happens. I had to keep taking away Dorothy's security. Mm-hmm. Little by little. Like I, I would make provision for her to go so far. Like her parents took her so far and then her aunt and uncle didn't do a whole lot. And the McDonald's took her so far and she took herself a little bit farther. And then Ruth helped her go even farther in some security, but then Ruth had to go so that Dorothy would know how to thrive alone. But yeah, it was, it was hard to let her go. Yeah. Okay. Abby, keep on going. 
<laughs> I know we got the feelings. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Basically every scene that involved uncle just like, cause I was so frustrated with his character that every time he showed up, I was just like, why are you doing this? <laughs> Can we please just talk some, like sit down and have an actual conversation? I should have put him to sleep. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, but I wouldn't have cried. So. I mean, but you almost did. Like, I feel like he had a chance or two that he could have gone. But yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just like, well written. But I was just, I was so frustrated by Uncle that, like, all the times he showed up and started frustrating me. I was just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. And then, honestly, that opening scene from James's point of view had me going, mm, I'm not so sure about this. I, I don't think I like the Judgy McJudgerson man here. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> he's just standing there like monologuing all these judgments about her and he hasn't even met her yet. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, sir. <laughs> right, right. You're supposed to be the love interest. What are you doing? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's- so... Yeah, that like made me doubt that I had picked out the love interest wrong. I was like, is he not going to be the love interest? I am confused. <laughs> Have you ever um, just been privy to one side of a story? So mm-hmm. all he had was one perspective his best friend gave him. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, and I totally get that. But it was just like, yeah, not where I expected to start with him, you know? Right. I was like, this is supposed to be a romance. Yes. And she's going to get in my way. (laughs) Who is this girl? Well, I can walk right into that too. Like the beginning with James and Hammond just conspiring against Dorothy. Like I was having some moments where I'm like, oh no, don't you all gang up on this poor girl who just lost her mom and dad. Like she doesn't have the knowledge to know better. And Oh, I was just having some moments with them and I was just like, oh, you're making me mad. This is not good. But the fact that we see character digression when it comes to uncle, but we see such character progression when it comes to James, like the chasm that grew between them, like uncle just didn't get out of his head, out of his ways. And then James grew and changed and his heart softened. And you're like, yes. You're like, go, James, like, keep growing. And like all the misunderstandings, he took the time to understand her, understand the situation. I just like, I love you. Yes, keep going. Yes, I love this. But that just that that just beginning with them together, like, oh, who is this girl who owns this farm? We must make sure she's not going to take it from us. And I was like, "Mm -hmm, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, she had more power than she realized. And then towards the end, any scene that had uncle, um, especially during and after his heart attack, like he just got nasty. I'm just like, I'm like, good, sir, you can go away. And the fact that I felt like Dorothy came with him with an open heart and she's like, hey, this farm really is yours. Here's the the deed to the farm. I want to be family with you. And he was still just just closed off. Like he had no room to accept her gift with grace. And I just, it made me really sad just because she kept growing and growing more in her faith. And I felt like he was not embodying Christian values. And I mean, he was recovering at the priest, I guess house. I was going to call it a rectory, but it's probably just a house or something. 
And I'm like, I'm like, the man of God is taking care of you here. Like your heart needs to open up a little bit, you know? He's got a massive guilt complex. Yeah. It's it's all twisted, not all wrong. Plus the, his own trauma through the war. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Dorothy did indeed sell some of the acreage. Um, never mind the fact that he could have lost it several times over himself. Right. And you and they weren't using it. And I know Ernest was like, oh, we had plans to do stuff with it. I'm like, you guys have not done anything with it. It was just literally sitting there. Sell it to the family who's going to actually use it. Let her have some cash. She, You know, like you don't <laughs> want her in your house and you want her out of your hair. Roll with this, guys. Yeah. So wrapping up to the end and to our final thoughts, Abby, how many stars did you rate this book? Uh, this is a solid five stars. Like, I have no faults to like, that would knock this down at all. It just, it was a five-star book. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just being honest, it was great. <laughs> like I said, I had that like happy, content feeling at the end that just made me go, yeah, yeah. Like, oh. just sit there with a smile on my face. I really enjoyed the format of the book between the diary entries and the sections that were in other character point of views. And the transitions were so smooth that I hardly noticed when the point of view changed. And like, especially when it was her diary entries and Dorothy's point of view, it was just like, I had to go back and be like, oh, this isn't a diary entry anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I like to hear that. What about you, Mo? Solid five stars. I was, so this is the first time. So I'm not a true romance reader for one. I like young adult romance most of the time because it's it's like this kind of that slow burn. Oh, they fell in love. Everything's happy at the end. Perfect. And that's how I like my romance. Just nothing else in it. And I was, I was so happy with this book. I loved how it was written. It just, like you said, it just flowed. Everything was just like seamless and easy to read. And I, I got halfway through. I couldn't put it down. I'm like, I can make it. I can make it. I can finish it by midnight, right? <laughs> I underestimate how long it's going to take me to finish this book. And I thought it was really neat because you read a lot of books about the Civil War. You read a lot of books about World War II. But you don't get to really read. I mean, there's books about World War I and like the Great Depression and the Roaring Twenties. But you don't... In, the Victorian area, but like this 1880, right after the Civil War, it's the reconstruction phase of the country. You know, it's just this like kind of lost, forgotten time. And it was really nice to see just this little slither of history and kind of get to relive it, especially because it's a it's not quite the frontier life, but it's not also city life. It is the country life. And I loved it. I loved everything about it, the setting, the characters, the format. Great book. I've been telling people who like romance. I'm like, you want to read a good book? Read this one, guys. Thank you so much, Mo. Yeah, I agree with the setting because like the market seems to be oversaturated with like World War II historical fiction, especially. But like this particular era is so little touched on that it was just like it was a nice refreshing historical fiction because of that. So thank you. Thank you. And we and we really loved having you on tonight. We hope that you had fun too. Oh, it was a blast. I loved it. Thank you for having me. If our listeners would like to buy your book, um, what is the best place for them to get a copy? 
Amazon. Absolutely. Amazon. Um, it is still available as an ebook on Barnes and Noble, I believe. Yep. And I think that's it. Awesome. Well, we cannot wait for your next book and I am sure we will gobble it up once again. (laughs) So much. Talk to you next week, guys. Bye. If you liked what you heard today and want to help us spread the book love, drop us a rating or review on the app you use or share the episode post on your preferred social media. Everything helps. You can also check out our Patreon for some awesome perks like access to our mini-series, a monthly guaranteed episode poll, and much more. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the name The Book Life Podcast. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at thebooklifepodcast at gmail.com. The song is Theme for an Unmade Anime by C8 Benoit from their album Dominique. You can find them on Instagram at C underscore A underscore B-E-N-O-I-T. That's C-A Benoit. And on Spotify under their name, Katie Benoit. Thanks for listening. Till next time.